Hey, everyone. Hi. Hello. Welcome to another episode of Alice. Hey, Greg, what are you doing here? Hey, what do you mean? What I, Allison, where, did you, where did you come from, Greg? I came from the world of childish, and I just want to make sure that your listeners know that you're just as wonderful on the on the other podcast you do. What if they don't have kids? Don't need them. You don't need them. <laughs> A lot of our listeners actually tell us they don't have kids. We talk about sex. We and talk about all sorts and, of dirty stuff, yeah. but also parenting stuff. Yeah. So check out Childish new episodes every Wednesday wherever you listen to podcasts. Hey everyone, hi, hello, welcome to another episode of Allison Rosen is your new best friend. I'm very excited to talk to my guest, whom we're going to bring in in a moment, but first, I must chat with my producer, Tony Thaxton, to see if if anything's happened to him since the last time we talked, and also to commiserate about how hot it is in Burbank, even though you're not in Burbank, but you're still nearby and it is hot. Hello. Hello. <laughs> Yeah, I'm. Uh, I haven't really been outside too much today, but uh, I know it's been gross lately. It, yeah, uh, but yeah, and I've. Uh, I I did force myself to go out in the other day, and I've 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 made a couple, uh, both good decisions and bad decisions that uh, fit in right now because I, uh, you know, I've got shows coming up and tours coming up that yeah. I am extremely out of shape for. So I'm trying to force myself to get back in shape because I just well. I say back in shape, but you know what I mean. Hey, uh, I, one of my favorite <laughs> stories is that your band went on tour and your manager hired a trainer to get you guys all in shape. That is, I don't know why I love that story. I, I don't know. Because it, it feels like a montage or something. Yeah. I, I, I think you, uh, you, I didn't even, I forgot that I'd shared that story. So you when did. you started that sentence, I didn't know where it was going. It was going there. Uh, <laughs> Were you in shape then? Are you getting back into a uh, uh, guy wearing a sweatsuit blowing a whistle in your face shape? No, I'm not I've never been in that shape. Mm. But you know, I just got to get it's it's just playing, you know, an hour plus of drums is it's it's a lot. And yeah. uh, I've been sitting around for a year and a half, so I've been trying to make myself do more. And so it's ultimately good, but let me tell you, it takes a lot out of you. So I'm going to do my best to moving uh, around. It, it, stay awake it, today. <laughs> the it being moving around takes a lot out of you? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> I know what you mean. This I decided I was going to do strength training for a week and a half is how long it lasted. that I Because it, it was just way too sore and I had trouble making myself do it. Uh, yeah. But the first time I did it, then Daniel and I recorded a podcast afterwards and I could barely... I just had nothing left in in the tank. Yeah, and so, so that's that's what I'm saying. I gotta I gotta power through this uh, this next hour or so, and uh, we'll we'll get there. We'll yeah, get there. I mean but now if you that see me doze off, it's not you guys, it's me. Now that we've gone public with being mortal sworn enemies, Tony, you know that I will fly into a rage if you fall asleep. Or if you don't bring it, the same rage that you flew, have flown into at me, and by rage I mean I feel like maybe I detected a slight edge in your voice, but I'm not sure, regarding me <laughs> unplugging all the equipment in my studio every week. Yeah, I've learned uh, that I 
cannot ask you questions. Is, is what I've learned from all of this. That's really not the vibe I'm trying to give off. Well, it's the vibe you gave off. So. Oh no! See there, there's that rage, <laughs> Tony. Yeah. I don't mind a question. Your question, it was a real loaded question. It was, if I recall, the tone, which I did not care we, for. We've, we've gone through this. I know, but you know I like to beat things into the ground. Like It's this or I'm talking about the insects I find in my bathroom again. So give the listeners a break. Okay. It, again, I, I have trouble getting into character because I can't access my anger so easily. But it was... Yeah, I meant to ask you, why do you keep doing that? It really wasn't like that, but that's what I heard. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yep. It, fe- gonna, that's what it, it felt like. Okay. Listen, that's, Tony. That's, that's all I'm going to give you. Okay. We need to bring in, we're going to bring in our guests in a moment. In fact, I feel rude making them wait, but you know, they're not here yet. They're still in traffic. Um, but anyway, I have to, I'm going to do something that I occasionally do with you, which is I make you comment on something where truly you're going to have no idea. I like to make oh, you, you know. my favorite. Yeah, this one is, uh, the stakes are, I mean, don't worry, the stakes aren't that high. But this one, usually I make you try to guess something that doesn't matter, and there's no way you can guess. But now I have to make a decision involving my child, and I've made extensive pro and con lists here. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm going to read it to you, and then you just tell me which decision to make. Oh, I'm I'm making the decision. Not what is the decision. I'm making the decision. Yeah. You're going to listen to my pro and con list, and you're going to tell me what you think as someone, as an outsider who who does not have all the information, but who knows me. I'm just hoping you'll hear something in this. I just want to know. I just want to know what you think. Yeah. Okay, so here's the background. uh, I never overthink things or anything. This is just going to be perfect. Yeah. You're right. I should pull in some like, who who do we know who doesn't overthink things at all? Greg Heller. Judging things I don't know about. The Greg Heller story. <laughs> no. Anyway, okay. Here's yeah. the deal. So for Elliot, my four-year-old, I am choosing whether to keep him in pre-K for the fall or to see if we can switch to DK. DK is developmental kindergarten, and it's like mm-hmm. a longer day. And it is very complicated, the difference, like what, why they have, sometimes have DK or TK or EK. There's all these different kindergartens. But um, basically, one is a longer day, and one is like half a day. So anyway, here we go. So for DK, the longer day, the pros are it would get him more prepared for kindergarten, more confidence, question mark, cuter schoolroom. I know that is ridiculous, but I know I've seen the two <laughs> different rooms at the preschool and the DK one is cuter. And one of the teachers seems to want him in that program. The cons, expense. You have to sign a contract saying you're on the hook financially for the entire year earlier start time takes him away from his friends because I think more of his friends are in pre-K and then takes him away from a particular teacher that I like a lot. Schedule not ideal. Okay, for pre-K, here's the pros. My gut said pre-K. Later start time, more affordable. His friends are in pre-K. Then the cons, not as confidence building, less cute room, 
missing out question mark because i'm like is he missing out on something by not going to dk okay tony what say you you know at first i thought this was going to be easy because i i will fully admit i misunderstood at first because i thought i thought your question was that i i misunderstood what this dk was and i thought that that was going to be something you were doing from home i thought that was the concern of whether to send him to a place or do this from home right so i was already like there and then you said something about the cute room yeah and that threw me yeah um, no this is all him going this is assuming we are going to school i'm gonna go with uh you you said that the pre-k is not as good for the confidence building well i don't know it's a shorter day they claim both programs get them ready for preschool pre-k is a shorter day so there's Mm -hmm. this idea that maybe the longer day like he'll be more confident for kindergarten because he's already done something akin to that i'm sort of of the mind that like well then he can just do it when he when he's the age to go to kindergarten yeah that is it's that's tough but uh i I have no idea how to make this decision. It's not my child, but I'm gonna I'm gonna just go. I'll go the DK Interesting. because I understand you're saying he may be away from his friends, but he also maybe will make some new friends. Yeah. And if this confidence thing, not that I think he has an issue with confidence, he's wonderful. Uh, but uh, apparently, he's a little. Those sound like they could be good things. So apparently, he's like a little bit on the more timid side in school. Not oh, when really? you come over, he's not. He's all. Oh up no, your butt. not at all. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, interesting. Thank you, that's Tony. Just, that's just my, yeah, that's my quick, not think about it too hard uh, thought. Yes. All right. There you go. You're welcome. I'm glad <laughs> I'm glad that you made that decision for me because it allowed me to see what I really want to do. And I think I would rather send it to pre-K. You're fired. Okay. <laughs> that's what I had a feeling. I thought this was all set up because no matter what I said, then you would say the opposite. Yes. Imagine trying to choose a restaurant with me. That sounds... Uh, Great. (laughs) True nightmare. (laughs) Okay. That was fun. Thank you. Um, Listen, we have a wonderful guest who has arrived. She is a comedian, a podcaster, a writer, a performer. She makes these really great podcasts, like really intelligent, thoughtful, well, I mean, not like this, not like this off the cuff crap, real, real, like written out podcasts we're gonna get into more detail of what i'm specifically talking about but tony you have like you had a look on your face like i was insulting you and i was just trying to in a self-effacing way insult myself you know i I believe in this project (laughs) anyway my year in mensa bechtel cast lolita podcast at cast that's her most recent one about reconsidering the kathy comic um among so many other things, please welcome to the show, Jamie Loftus. Hey, what's up? Hello. Welcome. Wow. Such a warm reception. I know it's crazy that we we're able to squeeze a whole live audience in here. Everyone's masked. It's great. Yeah. Well, you know, it does seem to be spiking. So we got a mm. little loose with letting, you know, vaccinated audience members not wear a mask. And then suddenly we had to do our mask mandate again. So you know how it is. It's complicated, yeah. yeah. So you are in Wisconsin, is that right? I'm in Wisconsin right now. Yeah, I've been traveling around a bit this summer. Um, are you are you just traveling for fun, or is this work work based travel? It's a little bit of both. It's uh, not see. I haven't seen my family in a really long time, and I'm doing research for the next project that I'm working on 
which is about hot dogs. Oh, cool. So I've been going around the country eating various hot dogs. So are you doing a podcast about hot dogs? Uh, I think I will be. I, I can't say exactly what I'm doing. I don't think yet. But yeah, it, it just involves a lot of uh, hot dog based research. So I've been going around to like local places. And then I'm trying to uh, learn more about the production of hot dogs, which is horrifying. Yeah, I went to the uh, the Nathan's hot dog eating contest on Coney Island, the whole the whole hot dog experience. Have you? Oh, I, I don't know why I'm asking about this because I don't want to know, but I'm asking anyway. Again, I, I, no one send me any information. <laughs> Have you gone to like a slaughterhouse or anything like that? Is that part of what you're doing? No, I'm, I'm strategically saving that for the last leg of research because I was like, well, if I do that first and then I don't know if I'll want to travel the country eating hot dogs right, after that. Right. Uh, so I'm saving the, the, the ins and outs of the meat production industry for last because I just don't have a good feeling about it. Yeah. Do you feel like you're gonna be able to handle it? I don't know. I've never, I've never been to, I've never been in a situation like that. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I didn't grow up remotely rural. I, I don't know any butchers. I don't know what I'm going to do. Yeah. It was difficult enough watching a man eat 76 hot dogs. <laughs> it was amazing. Uh, who won? But I wonder if, who won this year? Mr. Joseph Chestnut, man, as usual. Every year. He really has this on lock. Uh, he really is like the Simone Biles of hot dogs. Like he can do, <laughs> he is at this point like competing with himself. Right. It's incredible. How many hot dogs do you think you could eat? I know that if I eat more than four in a day, um, it'll be difficult for me and for and for whoever's with me. Because mm. um, we were like... Yeah, I've I've been going around with my boyfriend, uh, and yeah, if I eat more than four in a day, it's going to be a rough night and a rough morning. That's a lot of that's a lot of nitrates to put in your body. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. So I, like I was saying in the intro, uh, just really admire your work. I oh, thank you. Feel very inspired when I hear your po- your podcast because there's. They're educational and they're so well done and it kind of reminds me they're they're scholarly. Um how do you get the I like how did how did they all come about that your particular format for doing a podcast and the ideas and things like that? Um I think th- I mean yeah for the ones that I've done by myself that are more scripted and researched it kind of like started as uh the first one I did was about being in like getting into Mensa as like a joke and then getting sucked into um, what that group is, which I didn't realize was there was like a lot of uh, alt-right stuff. Mm-hmm. There was a specific Facebook group that like was officially sanctioned by Mensa that targeted and harassed people in the group on the basis of just about anything. And so uh, I got sucked into that for almost a full year. And then once it was, over I was like well I don't really know what to do like this could just be something that happened to me Mm -hmm. but I I was trying to just find um 
what the best format was to to talk about it and to like process the experience and and you know share some information and it ended up being that podcasting was the easiest way to get out my my thoughts so i just wrote like this really 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 long essay and then retrofitted it to be uh four episodes of a podcast and i really i don't know yeah i i wasn't expecting to enjoy that process as much as i did but um once i did um i w- started working with iHeartRadio and they just I, they they love content. They love <laughs> when you give them content to put advertisements in. And so they um they they offered to give me some funding to make some more and uh it's been really cool. They've given me like a ton of uh creative freedom where I'll send them basically, you know, like five or six things or of like here are some obscure topics that I think that there's more to and they'll pick hot one dogs and comics mm-hmm. <laughs> a book uh yeah a book with a ter- with with a horrific theme <laughs> um and yeah so so that that's kind of it kind of came about by accident and it's become like a, a really cool sometimes uh in over my head kind of job that's really neat how did you start working with iHeartRadio like had you when uh when in in the production of my year in Mensa did the iHeartRadio thing happen? It didn't. It didn't come out. It, it iHeartRadio acquired it I see. later because that was yeah. So I, you I did it on your working, own first. Yeah, because it was. I mean, and I and I understand it. It was frustrating at the time, but when I was talking to people about what I was working on and what I was doing, uh, the feedback was generally like. I have no idea what you're talking about. Because hmm. uh, when there was, I mean, I was like, oh, yeah, I'm, you know, Mensa, it's scary. And, you know, people, <laughs> understandably, like people were just like, um, awesome. Mm-hmm. Bye. Uh, so I, I, I made it completely independently. Um, but I had been working originally with How Stuff Works through Jack O'Brien, who's uh-huh. been the greatest advocate for me and so many people and he's the only reason I, I I'm getting to do what I get to do so I had originally started working with him um on the Bechtel cast which also started independent and then moved over there and it's kind of just like taken off from there so it's been um super uh super lucky to kind of get to go on that journey with uh with jack he's so great that's so cool yeah i wish i should mention i initially met you because you were guest hosting the daily zeitgeist and i was yeah 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 um one of the things i like so much about your podcast so i have a a journalism background and i wrote for alt weeklies and Mm -hmm. i could see these topics being extended essays that are like you said, um, that ran in alternative weeklies, which I feel like the, the, the market has changed. I don't even know how much that those kind of pieces and those kind of weeklies exist anymore. Um, but you had written for my year in Mensa, some of that ran in paste, right? Yeah. Yeah. So as all of the, um, the original kind of fiasco was unfolding, I, I was originally writing for Pace just about taking the test. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they, they like give you a little bit of money and you go do something ridiculous and then you, whatever. I mean, it, it was like, I, I, I like stunt, loved stunt journalism in a way, right? Yeah. And that's, that's like how, I mean, all of my early, uh, writing for, for paste and for vice and stuff like that, it was all kind of mm-hmm. that 
category and I liked it. And then it was also, I don't know. I feel like I like you kind of just hit a ceiling on stuff like that where at some point I'm like, I think I'm just humiliating myself <laughs> for $50. Right. Like, and that doesn't feel great. Um, and with Mensa, it was like not just uh like poking fun at yourself it was like oh this is actually kind of uh a deeply uncomfortable and kind of dangerous mm-hmm. situation that that you that i just couldn't stop and so yeah originally i imagined because i'd just been writing about it before i was like oh i'll i'll just kind of write a conclusive piece about it but it was too long and no one wanted to run it and someone suggest like someone suggested that they're like oh well y- you'd do the Bechtel cast, just like record it mm-hmm. and release it yourself and see if anyone, you know, cares. And that was kind of, um, and that's what I did. How much, so you had um, a death threat, which may have been a joke, but doesn't really seem like it. Who knows? And yeah. that, and just a lot of online ire and also in-person hostility at you when you went to the annual gathering of Mensa, right? Um, mm-hmm. How did all of that affect you? I, I feel like I'm still slowly finding out. I mean, I think that one of the big takeaways from doing all of that was just uh, realizing things like like everyone knows, but just seeing it in this kind of extreme example of how um, how people's online personas are just can be like completely diametric to who they are yeah. in real life. And like, including me too, because it was, you know, in, in this Mensa group that um, I was alerted to, and it's not the entire group that's like this, but it's, a large chunk right and and uh you know they were they were just slinging shit all over the place and it was like oh this is like a very toxic scary uh environment and then you which is very in person s- sorry to cut you off it's just very surprising no, no. because yeah mensa high iq group you just assume it's like smart people sitting together wearing sweaters with patches being really erudite (laughs) that's what i imagine that's what i thought yeah yeah that's that's and when i was going into the original piece which isn't like you know it it was a little mean-spirited what i was doing at first which was just like oh i'm just gonna like make fun of dorks and be Mm -hmm. like oh look at this like doofy test i took and i didn't pass and you know fine fine they can have their board games if i care um but but then yeah that when i when i got in and and the more i learned about it 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 like did start to come together of like oh this is a group of people that have formed a community around thinking they're better than Mm -hmm. other people based on a pretty you know randomized metric that is skewed in favor of uh of white people and in in general of men and Mm -hmm. and then going into the history of um of what iq is it's completely rooted in uh, a lot of eugenic science and just uh, it's so exclusionary by nature that like the the deeper I went into learning about the origin of the group, the more the types of people that I was encountering in these groups specifically, because there were some people who were really just like chilling and wanted to play board games and just hang out. But but there was a, a large group of people that, you know, kind of fit in with that kind of historical context of what it was. Mm-hmm. And so it was like, 
bizarre to see. I don't know. It's like you just never think you're going to meet shit posters in real life. <laughs> right. Uh, it's, and, and people act differently. And then, and then I act differently too. Cause it's like, I was, you know, on pace being like, I'm, I'm a dumb slut that got into mental blah, 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 blah. And in person, I'm pretty withdrawn and pretty shy. And I was, uh, also very nervous mm-hmm. being there. So I was not like, you know, like leaving it all out there i was i don't think i came off as very confident and Co- did you say confident just, or competent? confident confident but i would i would say competent as well i mean it's just it, it was such a bizarre situation that i uh i did voluntarily put myself in that uh yeah it just sort of became this study of like how different people are once they have to actually speak mm-hmm. with each other. Yeah. Um, and I don't even think that my, t- and, and my takeaway wasn't like, oh, we just need to all sit down and talk. It's like, <laughs> no, like both versions of everybody was pretty fucked up. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. When I worked for the OC Weekly, this thing came across my desk, um, a convention of the Romance Writers of America. They were meeting in Brea. Mm -hmm. So I brought it to my editor, and I was like, I think there could be a good story here. And I checked into the hotel uh, and spent – I was supposed to spend two nights there. I left after one, Mm -hmm. and I never wrote a story because I couldn't find the story. And this Mm – I I look at this as like one of my – I'm not proud of that. There's a few stories where like I was that I didn't write. Uh, I feel like everyone who's mm. a writer has that though, but I always felt sort of shame around that. And this one I feel like was not my, not my finer moment, but I just this, this loneliness and isolation descended on me during that night in Brea. Um, and I like couldn't push through it and it wasn't what you had. It wasn't people being hostile to me. It was just mm-hmm. people who knew each other. They all knew each other and they all had these relationships and I was very much on the outside of it. And also mm-hmm. I think that I expected, I had this idea that it was going to be like romance readers. That's what I was picturing. Right. What we picture the women who, or it could be you know, I don't mean to just gender it, but in general, the women who consume romance novels, but these were the writers mm-hmm. and it was just totally like not what I expected. And I just went home and, and, and just like was so happy to not be there anymore because it was so alienating. Uh, and, and I was thinking yeah. about when I was listening to my year in Mensa of you being, you know, at the Sheraton in Phoenix with all these people who ha- who don't who don't like you uh you know except for your you two for a couple friends um yeah i just it just reminded me of that uh i i'm so that's so interesting i i think it's really cool that what you're like there's not a story here so like i'm not gonna force one i don't know i i admire that i feel like people force stuff too much sometimes yeah but it is, it's like such a bizarre experience being in, I mean, in any room where you're kind of like the only person that isn't totally sure mm-hmm. what everyone's talking about. Or like, I don't know. Yeah, I, I had such a preconceived notion of the type of person I was going to meet. And then to be both wrong and alone mm-hmm. and not sure how to communicate. It's just like, yeah, I don't know. I, I don't think I had like felt like that that way since mm-hmm. like seventh grade <laughs> yes what was was seventh grade hard for you seventh grade was my uh n- nadir that's the lowest right 
Nadir is low. So. Zenith is high. No, I always no. forget. It was a real low point New for Jersey. me. Yeah. Seventh mm-hmm. grade was low. What was yours like? Absolutely. Oh, yeah. I, I like got a back brace in uh, middle school and had it through most of high school. So just any any time after that was like not not my best time. What did you have the back brace for? I had I had bad scoliosis. Um, so it was like, I don't know, this was like the mid to late 2000s. And so they had like back braces that it wasn't like a neck thing. You mm-hmm. could wear it under your clothes. But it was just like I was like a really, really scrawny kid. And I just had like a mysteriously large torso and <laughs> like was just like tor- like just torn to shit for it because it, 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 like whether people knew what it was or what it wasn't, it looked so silly mm-hmm. um, and was so uncomfortable. And uh, yeah, you know, I just um, really had to uh, develop a personality at that time. <laughs> Do you think that it, like, if you hadn't gone through that, do you think you would be doing something different now? I don't know. That's I. I. I was like kind of a withdrawn. I always knew that I wanted to like write stuff, so mm-hmm. I'm, I'm sure I would be doing something writing involved. But I don't know. I mean, yeah, that was a that was a real challenge. I feel like that was when I started to rely more on like trying to be funny to people and entertaining of like i need to justify my presence in this space because i feel like a fucking freak and like i'm really uh ruining everyone's time with my large plastic (laughs) torso (laughs) did you read dini you're you're yeah oh my god everyone says that to you when you mention school right I had six copies of Dini because my aunts just like didn't know how to deal with the situation. And they're like, Dini, there's a book for that. Um, <laughs> I don't I need to like reread it because I don't even really remember what happens. But I feel like it's kind of a downer. Yeah, You know, I don't remember it that well either. Although I know. So Dini is a Judy Bloom book. She has scoliosis, mm-hmm. I think. There's something like she or her sister was named after some character in a movie who has like a tragic end. And I know that she masturbates with a washcloth in the bathtub. That's like all I remember of it. Yes. But I have a sort of, when I think about it, I have like a sad, non-warm feeling. So I think it, it was not a super happy book. Yeah, I remember, I just remember (laughs) when I, I don't remember the specific events. I do think that there was a moment where like Dini was like really thoroughly rejected by her peers. And I was, Maybe. I just remember being like, why did they give me this book? <laughs> yeah. This is not making me feel better about my predicament at all. Um, yeah. I kind of want to go back to it now. I'm, I'm, I'm over it now. I can, uh, I can, yeah. <laughs> you like, you know, consume scoliosis media <laughs> at this point. I feel like there's just not that much un- unless there's more yeah. that I'm not aware of. So where did you grow up? I grew up in uh, Massachusetts, in Brockton, Mass. And most of my family is still over there now. Mm-hmm. And you said you were kind of a withdrawn, withdrawn child with large, tor- large plastic torso. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and then for college, wait, did you go to Emerson? I did. Yeah. What did you major in? Uh, I ended up majoring in radio. Um, so yeah, I worked at the the radio station there and then started doing uh, comedy while I was there. Was that like, what was your first career aspiration? You said you knew you wanted to write. I knew I wanted to write, uh, but I didn't have a lot of confidence in myself. And I like liked the idea 
idea of performing, but mm-hmm. I also lacked the confidence to really like commit to trying it, especially like at, I don't know, Emerson was such a theater school that I'm like, well, I, I can't do that. Mm. So I'm going to need to figure out something else. And so at the time I felt like radio was kind of the best compromise of all of those things. Um, and I really liked, uh, and, and I needed to have a, a job to stay in school. So, and, and they would pay you to work at the radio station. So it just kind of all worked out and, uh, I started and then like towards the end of college, I, I tried out stand up and was like feeling confident enough off of feeling okay on, on the air, mm-hmm. on, on the radio. So it was like very, very baby steps towards being willing to be by myself in front of people. Right. And so then what, uh, after college, what did you do? After college, I was, I really wanted to leave Massachusetts. So I was working two full-time jobs for my first year out of college, which is like, I don't know. I don't know what I was doing, but Mm -hmm. I I was like working at uh, the Boston Globe at like boston.com for a year. And that was super lucky because I was not qualified to do it, but they were just kind of, I think it was like very like, clickbait era it was like Mm. 2015 and so they were just like we'll hire any 22 year old and (laughs) pay them garbage and they'll have no idea what's happening to them um but and i was like oh i'm a writer this is so exciting uh and then i was also working at at as like a a bartender at the comedy theater that i i performed at so it was like doing that until i had enough money to to move to la uh and then i did and then how how was your adjustment when you got here did you have friends here? Not really. I like, no, because I, I I knew a couple of people. I like had acquaintances, mm-hmm. but I didn't have like close friends. And so it was like, it was like a rough first year. Uh, but well, I don't know. Yeah. Once I, once I got through the first year and like had made friends in comedy and there were so many comics who were so welcoming and it was like such a different scene from Boston comedy mm-hmm. and I love Boston comedy, but it's not, you know, the most welcoming <laughs> scene in the world. And so I just, yeah, it, it took a while. And then I also like went through the signature, like started dating someone immediately. And then <laughs> like four months later was like, hold on, this is ruining my life. So it was like the whole, you know, whatever, the whole first year in LA experience. Why was it ruining your life? It was, it was just like a, not a very nice guy, mm. you know, it's like I and, and also it's like, whatever, I, I was still like, I could date a comedian and that will work out fine for me, <laughs> um, which it like literally never has. I had just broken up with or like gone through a breakup with, I guess, a, a different comedian, moved here, immediately started dating another comedian. Mm-hmm. And uh, it, it just uh, it just didn't go well. Did you tend to date? Well, you. Did you tend to date comedians because those are the people you're around? Yeah, yeah. And then when I when I first started performing, it was like I started dating someone at the same time I was starting comedy and we did comedy together and mm-hmm. then it was a it was like I mean, looking at it now, it's like, oh, I just wasn't confident that I could do anything by myself in comedy and I didn't think that I was like good enough to stand alone and mm-hmm. so and so I would kind of you know take shit from other people because I wasn't sure if I could actually like 
do it or not. And then once I figured out, it's like, oh, no, I I can do this. I don't need to, you know, be treated this way uh-huh. by by random by random open micers <laughs> and um and my life has improved generally since uh since that happened where do you think if you know the lack of confidence came from and i, I have to say i feel like that's a perfectly normal response to a new thing but at the same time like there's tons of people who just think they're god's gift to everything right off the bat i know i i every time i encounter someone with and it's like that that can go so both ways because sometimes when I meet people who are just like exude natural confidence it it can be such a positive like Mm -hmm. motivational thing to be like oh they know what they're doing and they're not afraid to let people know and like did they're not in a constant death spiral of doubt (laughs) and then it's like you see it go the other way of like why are you confident you're terrible at this (laughs) uh like yeah I don't know I mean I just I, I like I, I can't remember a time really that I I mean, when I was a kid, I think I was like, I could, you know, do anything. And uh, but it, especially once I got to college, I think I just like felt so out of my element. I like had a difficult time relating with people uh, once I got to. Well, yeah, once once I got to college specifically. And yeah, like when my, in all in my early 20s, it was just like nonstop self-doubt mm. at in almost any area what was high school like high school was um I feel, I feel like I it was like kind of unusual that high school was way better for me than college was where um I what I had a, I had my plastic torso but <laughs> I had like a, a really sweet group of friends. I have a huge family, so I had like backup cousins mm-hmm. to be friends with. And uh, I don't know. And, and my high school was also huge. It was like 5,000 kids uh, at a public school. And so you couldn't even really get – like you would get bullied and people would give you shit, but the school was kind of too large mm-hmm. to sustainably bully anyone or like sustainably even bother anybody. And so you could kind of like fly under the radar and try different stuff and just kind of have fun. I don't know. I was like a, a dork in high school and like did school band and like did drama club and all that stuff. But it was just, I don't know, people were just uh Nicer. I had more fun. Your interest in um, feminism, which I think you hear in all the podcasts, but like very specifically in Atcast, um, Lolita podcast as well. Um, where, when did that start? I mean, yeah, I, I had always been interested in feminism, but not, uh, not in a way that like took precedence in my work or mm-hmm. daily life. And so especially once I moved to L.A. and I had kind of gotten out of that relationship and was kind of navigating all this stuff that I hadn't processed or understood. And then my friend Caitlin Durante came to me and uh, wanted to start a feminist movie podcast. And that I mean, honestly, it's probably like working on that show on the Bechdel cast that has like moved my brain the most Mm -hmm. um on on feminism and on intersectionalism and on all this stuff um that we talk about on that show it's been like such a cool um five years just figuring stuff out 
um, and like learning from from our listeners and from each other. And I don't know, it's been a good experience. But yeah, it's like a combination of personal stuff and um, just that show mm-hmm. and the community around it. Yeah. Uh, listening to your podcast makes me want to go back to school. Um <laughs> Which is a, that's a big. Co- I I hope I'll that feels it. like a compliment. Yeah, because I, t- I, I you know I haven't thought in a hundred years about the women's studies class that I took. Um, I of course yeah. I consider myself a feminist, but just the actual like you know the different waves and the different theories and all that stuff. And I realized like I never even read the feminine mystique. Should I? Yeah, me either. Should I read it? No. Let's skip it. Okay. It's, it's pretty dated. It's like, it's so weird because it's like, yeah, but with this show, with all of them, it's like I've, I'm learning in real time too where, uh, yeah, I mean, I two months ago, I couldn't have broken down the different waves of American feminism for you even remotely. Um, but now it's like, it's it, it's so, it's such a fun, like, dense thing to work through of because it's like yeah I vaguely remember taking classes like that but even going back and like I was trying to look at like these old college syllabuses I still had and so much of it is just like not even there Mm -hmm. (laughs) and uh, so it's it's been fun and challenging and I hope I'm not missing too much you know like trying to find stuff that was just missed because it's like I knew about the feminine mystique I remember having to read a section of it but I definitely wasn't given any context for like who Betty Friedan was politically or like that she was wildly homophobic or just, I don't know. Like the, I feel like there's the same, whatever, all, all students read like the same five mm-hmm. essays, but, but there's no actual kind of context for, for what it is. So right. it's kind of fun to look through. Right. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's just so cool to watch someone do something that is researched and scholarly, but outside of the confines of, school like oh wow I I didn't have to stop thinking that not that I stopped thinking that way but you know what I mean like I didn't I you know (laughs) you can I am I'm not even able to finish my sentences because my thoughts are just half thoughts but you I'm gonna (laughs) trust that everyone knows exactly what I mean um I want to ask you about uh Kathy but first I want to tell everyone uh, if you're feeling depressed or struggling with uncertainty or having difficulty sleeping or meeting your goals, BetterHelp offers online professional counselors who can listen and help. BetterHelp will assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist. You can start communicating in under 48 hours. Uh, I have two friends who are doing BetterHelp right now. This past year, it has been difficult to start up with a traditional therapist. The, there's super long wait lists. Um, and they're doing better help and they are benefiting so much from it. I think you guys know I believe wholeheartedly in therapy. Um, been in therapy for I feel like therapy is like the single has made the single greatest difference in my life. That's been my own experience with it. Um, but I always recommend like anyone who's open to it, I think you could benefit from it. Uh and um and better help is is really good and also if you feel like the first therapist you're matched with isn't a great match you can change as many times as you want there's no extra charge they'll get you to someone that is the right match um and better help can be more affordable uh than traditional therapy and financial aid is available 
Our podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp, and our listeners get 10% off their first month of online therapy at betterhelp.com slash best friend. Visit betterhelp, betterhelp.com slash best friend, and join the over 1 million people who have taken charge of their mental health with the help of an experienced BetterHelp professional. I also want to talk to you guys about Rothy's. They make the most comfortable shoes. You can wear them right out of the box without blisters, which I think... I don't know that any other shoe can claim that. Uh, I've mentioned before, but I'll say it again. Our dog worker Kathleen was wearing Rothy's around the time that I learned about Rothy's. And I said, are those Rothy's? And she said, yes, they're, I can wear them without blisters. And she makes her living on her feet. <laughs> that feels like another commercial. Um, but it's not. It's my commercial for Rothy's. She makes her people who make their living on their feet wear Rothy's and they're super duper stylish. And now they have launched men's shoes. Uh, they're intentionally designed with an artisanal level of detail. You know what kind of detail you deserve? An artisanal level. And created with nearly zero waste, Rothy's men's shoes are durable, washable, and better for the planet. Plus, rigorous testing during R&D results in a perfect fit, wash after wash. Yeah, if I didn't mention, you can just toss them in the washing machine. Uh, and do you know how many celebrities are all about Rothy's? Almost all of them. Certainly a lot of them. <laughs> oh! Step, are you wearing Rothy's? No, I'm oh. not wearing any shoes. But, I was say I was gonna say anything, but oh. that is not true. <laughs> but if you were gonna wear shoes, I would hope that it would be Rothy's, Jamie. Step up your summer yeah. wardrobe with washable, sustainable, stylish shoes and bags from Rothy's. Head to Rothy's.com slash Allison to find your new warm weather favorites today. That's Rothy's R O T H Y S dot com slash Allison. Again, Rothy's R O T H Y S dot com slash Allison. Okay, so ACCast about Kathy Comics by Kathy Geiswhite. Um, what uh, what gave you the idea to do that podcast? Uh, it was a couple things. I mean, honestly, there were these, I like, you know, when there's like a viral tweet that like just makes the rounds and it's always from a different person, but mm -hmm. it's like the same joke or the same idea or whatever. Yeah. So I had seen like, it was like the third time I had seen this version of a viral tweet being like, hey, the lady who wrote the Kathy comics was really hot and like posting these pictures of mm -hmm. her. And she I mean, she's she she was really hot. She is really hot. Um, and so I just like it had been like pinging in my head every couple of months from the tweets that, were, <laughs> that I was seeing. And so eventually I was just like, maybe that is like interesting and something that I would want to learn more about because i just remember i don't know like i i had just finished a lolita podcast which was a great experience but it was just really emotionally taxing and it was just like it was so 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 heavy mm -hmm. and we were in lockdown and my boyfriend was editing it so it was just like a very bad vibe in the house <laughs> uh so i was like okay the next one i do i definitely want to be about something like light and like I want to have fun I don't want to be so sad mm -hmm. um and so Kathy kind of just like it, it just sort of presented itself uh I pitched it to Jack and um and then I I, I had to you know obviously pitch it to Kathy Guysway to get her permission and and hopefully her cooperation with the show and it was it's just been like such a fun 
show to put together. Like she's been so wonderful. The comics, I, I, I really like finding topics that like everyone is vaguely familiar with, but no one actually knows anything about. Mm-hmm. Um, and so Kathy was like the the fun side of of that, right? So, it was good. And then, you know, I got paid to read Kathy comics for a month and a half. That was great. That's interesting that you needed to get her permission. I mean, I don't think I, I don't think I like necessarily right. needed to, but I, I did. I mean, I did want to like if, if I reached out to her and she was like, this idea is, you know, anathema to me and I hate it. Like I, I wouldn't have right. uh, gone through with it because I, uh, I really like her <laughs> and, um and so I I was really hoping that I would be able to interview her for for the show and hopefully you know connect with other people in her life and in that industry. Um, so it was just the kind of thing where I I wouldn't have done it without mm-hmm. her blessing, just because I really yeah I just really like her. Right. It is really interesting the way that because I know that prior to listening to your show, um, there are times of my life where I have been like I sound like a Kathy comic. And it's not a compliment, you know, when I say no. that about myself, it's like, I sound like a typical woman who's like, oh, my period. Oh, I need chocolate. Oh, no, five, pe-. you know, like, where's my boyfriend? Like all those things, like, um, yeah. stereotypical basic woman stuff, which is mm-hmm. really not fair to what the comic is. That's kind of your point. Um, why, why do you think we regard it that way? I feel like it is truly like so i don't know i just finished working on an upcoming episode that's like all about how specifically boomer she is Mm -hmm. and how boomer the era she was popular in was and i think it has a lot to do with her being the only you know the only woman writing about single women in the newspaper at this time um and I and I think that it was like connected to the way that I don't know, it's kind of challenged the way that I think about uh, female protagonists in general, too, where it's like all this character does is fail, like she fails all the time and she doesn't she doesn't fail only in the ways that she's stereotyped as failing, but it's just like it's a it's just always going to be an uphill climb for her. She's like so far from being a superhero type character Mm -hmm. and people just like were not having it i don't know i mean but at the same time it was like it was a million dollar industry to be to be in the business of kathy because there were so many women who were failing in the exact same ways um and and, you know with with i guess hmm, where are my thoughts and then and then the other thing is i think that uh people didn't uh, even seems to consider that it could be satirical, mm-hmm. which most of it is. Um, I don't know. Yeah, I, I feel like it is just kind of a weird case study in how people interpret uh, women's work in male-dominated industries, where it just, I never, in all the articles I read about her from the 70s and 80s and 90s, all of it was like with the assumption that it was just a one-to-one of like, this is just what women are like yeah. and blah, blah, blah. And there was just, it was just never taken into consideration that, that it was satire and that if you have a female protagonist, like, you know, it's like she's commenting on all the, all the ways that women were kind of failed right. by their own 
by American culture and um, people just didn't didn't get it or like it or I don't know. I mean, but then it, but then it also, you know, it's it's interesting how it so slowly kind of became the insult that it did. I don't know. Yeah, I remember I remember my mom loved Kathy comics and I didn't understand what they were about and I like didn't cuz whatever. It's like if you're 8, you're not going to mm-hmm. be like exactly, you know. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> my you've you've nailed my experience to a T. <laughs> right. Like but but reading them as an adult, it's like, yeah, it's not like the most progressive text in the history of texts, but it's just I don't know, there's so much pressure put on stuff like that when you're the only mm-hmm. woman doing it. And right. so I just feel like there's just like an, a needless amount of pressure and scrutiny put on a silly comic strip that was like satirizing being a middle class boomer lady. There's one Kathy comic that for some reason I, I read it when I was young and for some reason I re- still remember it. Like it, I just thought it was so clever at the time. I was a big for better or worse fan. So that was, <laughs> Ooh, <laughs> yeah, but yeah, um, was it was Kathy at the doctor weighing her or maybe she's home, but she's weighing herself. Um, mm-hmm. And she's like, you know, blah, 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 plus, plus five pounds or plus 10 pounds for horizontal stripes. I don't know why that just tickled my funny bone, but I just enjoyed that. Um, (laughs) She's some of them are genuinely funny. Like they're, I don't know. It's, it's so weird. Like ridding yourself of the, the guilt that you feel for enjoying a Kathy comic. I'm like, some of them are just goddamn good and they're funny. (laughs) Yeah. And yeah, even to the point where it's like there, there, I did have, originally a little bit of hesitance from Kathy Geiswhite when I told her I wanted to do this show because she was assuming because I'm like a, a young woman that I was going to be making fun of it the whole time. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I don't know. It just is like, no, I don't know. It's, it's She was one of the only women doing it yeah. and it, it ran for 12,000 strips and says so, I mean, I, I guess I can't think of a better phrase of for better or for worse, but like for better or for worse, it said a lot about you know, yeah. the time that she was living in. So oh, that's so interesting that she cool. assumed it was going to be critical. Yeah, I mean, but it's like, I, I get why she would have because so many people came down on her so hard over just like, assumptions of what the strip was actually about when Yeah, I don't mm-hmm. know. I don't know how she dealt with it. It seemed just incredibly frustrating. Right. And what made you decide to do a show about Lolita? That one was um, something that I had wanted to do, but I didn't know. Again, it was like kind of like Mensa where it was like, I didn't know what format was going to make sense. I didn't know. I just didn't know. But that that's something that I've wanted to, I'd wanted to look at for a long time. And I worked on that. I mean, that was like entirely made in quarantine. And so it was, I mean, very lucky that I could be working from home through that whole time. And I just was like, well, I guess now is the time to do it because it's there, there's just so much. And mm-hmm. there, it was, I don't know. I've, I've never worked on something like that before. That was just like so much material and so many people to talk to and so many um, perspectives to consider that I was like, I don't know if I'll ever have a time like this mm-hmm. again to like really sit with this and to, give this work the kind of time and consideration it needed so it 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 um 
Yeah, I, I I don't know. And and yeah, I've I just with Lolita, I read it when I was a kid. Same. It had been like recommended to me by a children's author that I admire. Oh wow. Which is just like so yeah, I was like and I still am in spite of this, but I was like the biggest lemony snicket fan in the world when I was a kid. And he had given like this interview to Nickelodeon magazine about what his favorite books were. Mm-hmm. And he said Lolita. And so I was like, well, if it's his favorite book, I have to go get it right now. And in retrospect, it's like, why was he yeah. <laughs> recommending this book in Nickelodeon magazine? That is so like so bizarre and irresponsible. But I read it I and and it just stuck with me. And the fact that it has like such a huge culture surrounding it um, in like almost every era since it came out. Um yeah, I just wanted to like take a look at it and see see how it held up and s- to see kind of how it had been um changed in adaptation to almost be more pro abuser mm-hmm. than the original text was and um yeah, that w- that was a tough project to work on, but it was I, I yeah, it totally changed the way that I looked at a lot of stuff. I need to reread it. It's like somehow it existed in my mind in like a separate category of like, this is just about language and words and Mm -hmm. not ever really thinking about like, no, it's about pedophilia, really. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's just the, I mean, yeah, uh, narrated by a child sex abuser trying to like justify his own crimes. Right. I don't know. Yeah, I, I it was also introduced to me under the guise of like it was either like, oh, this is like have you ever heard of an unreliable narrator? Mm-hmm. Here's this. Or or the other way it was introduced to me was like as what I mean, there's so many covers of that book that say like the greatest American love story yeah. of all time and <laughs> just oh. complete like and and I I don't know if you did you ever get into the um, the 1997 movie adaptation of was it? that there with was, uh, was it Jeremy Irons? Was, yeah, yeah. I don't think and, I I don't think I saw that one. I don't recommend it. I think it's a really really irresponsible bad adaptation. Though Dominic but Swain, right? Yeah, and she and she's like wonderful. She's incredible. Like, uh, it's it's so frust it was such a frustrating process looking at looking at the book which was fascinating and i i learned a lot about i don't know i i think that the book generally does hold up mm-hmm. and that it's a it it's a, it's a solid work but all the adaptations it's like the people that were adapting this story it just never made sense it was like to to such a like ridiculous degree where it was like St- Stanley Kubrick in what world right. does it make any sense for him to like how is he going to know what to do with this mm-hmm. which like he didn't and then the the 1997 one is Adrian Line who is like coming off of the success of Fatal Attraction which is whatever fundamentally misunderstands women in so many ways and it's just it's there, there was one. My favorite, my favorite bad adaptation. Because some, I mean, some are truly. I find the Adrian Line one genuinely frustrating and upsetting because it's still popular and it's like you can watch it for free on YouTube. And mm-hmm. I watched it for free on YouTube when I was thirteen, and, and totally. I mean, it totally runs with the idea of this is not a crime. This is a love story. Um, 
in a way that's like that. It just it it is harmful, and the internet culture kind of he murders her that. mom. That makes me feel. He sad. murders her. Yeah, that's, <laughs> she's too she's too young to be without a mom. <laughs> there's i mean I, yeah everything he does is is terrible and the yeah. book is aware of that and the movies don't you know the movies kind of recast him as this right. romantic hero um but yeah my favorite my favorite bad ad- adaptation of lolita is there was like a failed broadway musical that was written by the guys who did my fair lady and the music is online it's so it is like springtime for hitler status <laughs> misunderstanding horrible tone like how it's just i mean it's ridiculous oh wow i'm gonna have to go look that up um yeah there's there's a line in one of the songs uh that's like who is that viper who likes them post diaper like it's just like some of the freakiest uh, it's yeah it's um it's basically springtime for hitler (laughs) have you read pale fire yeah, not for a long time, but yeah. I read that in college and really liked it. I need to go back mm. and and reread that one too. Um He's really fascinating. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I was I was I went into that project with like not a lot of idea of like who Nabokov was or anything like that, but he's pretty cool. He seemed he seemed like an interesting guy. Mm-hmm. And not writing in his mother tongue is kind of impressive. Yeah. Yeah, I have. I'm like I can barely um, form a sentence <laughs> in the only language yeah, I know. I know, same. So <laughs> good uh, for him. Good for good for Vlad. Uh, <laughs> I so I uh, I'm on Patreon and I take questions on Patreon. Uh, Patreon.com/slash Allison Rosen. All sorts of um, get bonus episodes weekly of what. I have decided, I just decided it was called the friend zone because Alice Rose is your best friend, the friend zone. However, Daniel's mom, that's my husband, his mom just brought us like a bag of mementos, including this little laminated card. He's, I hope it's okay that I'm going public with this. His laminated card that he and his friend made in high school that has a picture of him, a teddy bear, and then in like script writing it says the friendship club and he's like you get that it was a joke right it's a joke we were joking why would we put a teddy bear on it but it is so amazing that i'm like man maybe i should name these episodes the friendship club and use that card as the image so anyway it's either the friend zone or the friendship club um there's also Uh. a level where you can text me and i'll text you back in fact the people who are at the texting level my confidants they have already Mm -hmm. received a picture of this friendship card a lot of them have said it's the best thing they've ever seen. And I have to agree. Uh, and Zoom parties and all sorts of fun stuff. And then on the Thursday show, when we do it via Zoom, you get the video. You will get videos of all them, but my studio is just not really. I just haven't gotten my shit together to get totally set up for video yet. Um, anyway, patreon.com slash Allison Rosen. And you can submit Patreon. questions for guests. <laughs> let's uh, let's uh, answer some questions. Okay. When we ask, they send them in. They're wondering how you have been. So thanks so much for answering these questions from our fans. All right. Justin Roberts has a question, and I don't know what it's related to. So hopefully you will. Has she found a new tuna sandwich spot? 
Also, was that Dunkin' Donuts story real? If so, fuck yes. I obsess over finding the best sandwich or lettuce wrap for each meal of the day. Yes. Okay. So I, I know exactly what Justin is talking about. Um, yeah, I tell, uh, I, or I, I used to tell a, a stand up joke about, um, eating the Dunkin' Donuts tuna sandwich back when that was a thing. <laughs> I used to eat it every single day. Uh, and to the point where I was like known, a known entity at the Dunkin' Donuts and they like called me tuna. And there was a whole <laughs> joke with the staff where they'd be like, tuna and you know it was i loved it i thought it was great and i really enjoyed the tuna sandwich and they i i mean it's like a it's like a little dramatized for the joke but they like did when when the tuna was discontinued because i don't think many people were ordering it (laughs) this is like maybe like i don't know like 2013 2014 i was just like heavy into tuna at that time i don't know but from dunkin uh, donuts like at Dunkin' Donut, and and but yeah, when when the tuna sandwich was discontinued, they like t- r- told me so I would know <laughs> that it was ending soon. Oh, that's so nice! Were, it was really they showed up for me in a way that most people don't show up for anyone in their entire life. They were so empathetic; they wanted me to get through the situation okay. <laughs> um, so I haven't, um, I haven't found a tuna sandwich replacement, but I have found a Dunkin' Donuts uh, niche disgusting food replacement, which is the avocado toast at Dunkin' Donuts, which I'm very into. I didn't even know that Dunkin' Donuts makes non-donuts. I mean, I guess I knew they made coffee. <laughs> They try all sorts of I I I think it's like the most beautiful circle of life because they just try to like <laughs> they'll try anything and it's always like whatever the ingredient is it will come in the little container that the cream cheese comes in. So like the tuna same deal like they would open the little foil thing oh, and wow. inside would be like whatever was masquerading as tuna and they would spread it on your bagel. Right now the avocado and it's not avocado. It's good, but it's like avocado toast is not supposed to like taste like a block of salt, but this kind of does. Uh-huh. But I love it. It's so it tastes like kind of sour and salty, and then it's just a piece of kind of wet bread. Um, but I Yum. really, I genuinely, I I have it like at least twice a week. And the and and part of it is knowing with the Dunkin' Donuts food, it's so fleeting. Like it will, there's mm. no way this time next year that they're gonna stick with this avocado toast because it's disgusting and no one wants it except for me. Um, and and then it will go, and then I'll I'll reminisce about the days of the avo toast at Dunkin'. Snapchat. Tony, have you ever had these these items from Dunkin' Donuts? No, I I feel like I've maybe had like one of the bagel sandwiches or something. Maybe those are good. Yeah, that's that's about as far as I've gone. I think. So Jamie, get adventurous. The tuna sandwich was tuna on a bagel. It was a. Uh, I got tuna on a croissant. I did like a full on customized like tuna melt. Uh, yeah, tuna piece of uh, fossilized cheese on a croissant. Um, that does sound, that sounds good. Okay. It was good. Uh, let's see here. 
They should make a hot dog. That's something that I've really, yes. I really hope that pops up in the future of Dunkin' food. I would try a Dunkin' hot dog so fast and it wouldn't be good, but I would keep getting it. <laughs> I mean, so the, I don't know if you can reveal this, but thus far, like where has the best hot dog you've had come from? Oh, I can, I can reveal that. I, the, my favorite, my favorite one, and it's not even like, a particularly hot take because I feel like it's in the hot dog community. Mm. Everyone is kind of like, oh, duh. But it's this place in New Jersey called Rut's Hut. And it's like on the side of a highway. It's been there for like 100 years. Every popular hot dog place has existed for 100 years and like burned down five times. <laughs> but like Rut's Hut is they they do this thing where um they make these hot dogs called rippers, which just means that they like deep fry them until the skin rips open a little bit. Or you can order like a cremator, which is just a hot dog that's been cremated in in oil. And it's <laughs> it I, I it's so good. It's like unbelievably good. And they have all these like we went on. I didn't realize this was going to happen, but we were there on a Tuesday night and Tuesday nights are biker nights. So we were. <laughs> in line behind 200 bikers to get the best hot dog I've ever had. It was electric. I loved wow. it. Wow. So rut's such, hut if you live in New Jersey. Such violent cooking methods. Ripper. Yeah. Creator. Yeah. It was intense. They just, they'll destroy your dog. Um, okay. Whitney C. would like to know, what's her best friend like? Ooh, that's a good question. Uh, my best friend is... Wonderful. I love her so much. My best friend is very, um, I don't know. She's, she's very funny. She's also a comedian, but she's very, I don't know. She's the most mature person I've ever, uh, known. She's very, very protective of people. She's very maternal. Um, and also I think the only person that I truly trust to give me an honest read on, anything like i she will give me a completely honest opinion um even and especially if it hurts my feelings a little bit uh so i just yeah i love her so much my best friend julia is the greatest it's so weird it's like i don't have a ton of friends that i'd be like this person is incredibly mature (laughs) yeah but she is where'd you meet her she's I met her doing comedy in Boston. We were um, to there, there. There's a, a lot of women who do, who do comedy there, but we were like the same age and both kind of like struggling with the same things and just like bonded hard and lived around the corner from each other and just like became attached at the hip. And she lives in New York now. I live in L.A., but we we still are super close. And yeah, I love her. She's like she's the friend that. I don't know, after like I was living in LA for a year, she's like, you need to have a mattress for people and you need to like Wait, live what were in you, a place that makes sense. What were you um, sleeping on? <laughs> I was, I would, I would argue I was sleeping on a mattress for people, but it was only about, you know, two inches or it was, it was not thick at all. And it was on the floor oh. and I had like my first, my first longer term apartment in LA was just like such a it's weird to think about now is like what was going on there where I was living in like a bungalow with a woman who I knew I had like met her once but then I don't know she had like these rules where there were two rooms in the house but she was like well we have to share a bedroom and so we were <laughs> sleeping in the same room and I didn't have a 
I didn't have a bed frame and there were mice. And oh. so sometimes if you could, if I could, we had like a rule where it was like, I could get in her bed if there were mice around. It was just like so depressing. It was very, and, and um, Julia was the person that was just like, look, I know you don't have a lot of money, but I just, I just know you can do better than what you're doing. Um, yeah. What, why did you have to share a bedroom? What, what happened in the other room? I don't really know. I mean, it was like, it, it was a, well, I, I guess for context, it was, I was in my first apartment in LA was a disaster. Like I just couldn't stay. So I had to move quickly. I sort of knew this girl and she had just broken up with her boyfriend. So I think she was used to having the other room be a living room and she didn't want it to become my bedroom. Oh. So she's like, well, you'll just sleep where my desk used to be before me and my boyfriend broke up because I like this room the way it is. And I I felt like I didn't, I was so low on the roommate uh, totem pole and I had like, I, I didn't have any alternatives. So I was mm-hmm. like, all right, sure. I'll sleep in a mattress on the floor next to you. And the mice. Um, and the, and, and the mice and my, and my little mice friends. <laughs> um, well, Julia sounds amazing. Congrats. She's the best. Yeah. She's great. Uh, okay. We have one more question. Okay. And it's from Trice Sanders. Any updates on the Mensa people after releasing the podcast or does she want to let those particular sleeping dogs lie? Um, I mean, generally, I'd like to let them lie. There has been some... I left that group sometime. Like, once the show came out, I left it because I was like, well, no one's going to have anything productive <laughs> or nice to say yeah. to me at this point. Um, but even, I have even yeah, tall guy and number two. <laughs> uh, d- number two, especially <laughs> makes it sound like I'm calling him poop, but he's yeah. Number two uh, and I are still buds. And I, 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 he came to a show of mine in New York um, shortly before the pandemic lockdown. So I've, I've gotten to like see and talk to him again. He's super sweet. And the other, I mean, I think that the the real development that's happened since the show, which is not completely connected to me, um, I, I definitely can't take full credit for it. But there, that that group um, is no longer an officially sanctioned group by oh. Mensa, so it still exists, but it no longer has like the official seal right. of the organization. And that was a whole. Um, that was interesting. That was like last summer. There was a bunch of contentious Zoom meetings and voting that ca- that happened for that to happen. And someone slipped me uh, the link to it. And it was kind of fun to watch all these people who had been like cyberbullying me and other people for years at that point, you know, try to discredit the show the show that i made in this meeting and they're like well you can't take what this woman does seriously there's videos of her like butt chugging on youtube (laughs) i was like like, well he's he's right but also he's wrong um so so yeah that is the one development there's a video of you doing a butt chug on youtube yeah yeah i used to like i when i was like doing the the uh the essays and videos that were just like hey here's a thing uh i was doing i was doing them hard i was like butt chugging gallons of milk on was um, that for vice that was for super deluxe okay which no longer exists but it was a very butt chuggy environment and i mean that in a positive way i really liked working there 
So how does that work then? Because isn't that basically just a milk enema? Yeah, that's exactly what it is. Uh, mm. It's uh, it's not great. I mean, it's it doesn't all like whatever. Like I got because I, I, I did it on stage as well. And the reason they asked me to do it is because they're like, well, we know you can do this. We've seen you do it in public. Um, or like I like used to do a bit where I would eat dog food or whatever. I just had a very resilient digestive tract, so I would use that to my advantage. <laughs> but yeah, it was like I don't know. You just have to have someone you trust with you and you do the handstand they put the funnel you can adjust the funnel and not all them like it's it's i say i butt chugged a gallon of milk a gallon of milk went into a funnel that was attached to my butt but not all the milk you know there's spillage there's but you basically i mean for for me anyways it just meant that if i was doing that bit like a full gallon it has to be skim you can't do full like that would be really dangerous. Um, and then you just kind of like feel really sick for a day and you just need to kind of lay down and fart and um, I have for it to pass. Um, I have a thousand <laughs> questions. <laughs> Wait, why? I, I don't mean to sound like a, a neophyte here, but why? What's the difference between full and skim when the milk is going in your butt? Because in my mind, isn't it just going in and coming back out? Uh, no, some of it like hangs out for a little bit. Um, so you're digesting it in a way it's getting into your system. I don't really know if I'm digesting it, but I know that it takes a while to, to come all back leave your body for sure. Um, and the, the skim milk is just, it's, it's just because it's like less, it's less thick. It's, it's more watery. Got it. Um, going in. So that's more of an entry thing. Um, cause otherwise it's just like, it's, it's too thick. I don't know if, if any of it would really take and the bit would kind of not be good, but yeah, skin, skin milk is just like a little more, I don't even know exactly. I mean, but it's, it's just thinner. And, um, and what is the bit? <laughs> so <laughs> it gets poured in your butt and then what happens? Well, that, I need to remember what the, so for the, 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 the dog food joke that I would do was about, um, not having health insurance and mm. making like home remedies and it would like whatever culminate with a dog food home remedy and, um, no one wants you to eat dog food. So there you go. But the, the milk one was kind of fun. It was like, I would do these like ballet routines, um, and it would always be like there'd be a number of props and stuff involved, and then it would culminate with a butt chug mm. as like the grand finale to got I think it that the the one that was broadcast was the nutcracker <laughs> um and I would always like I don't know I would like add in some justification for the milk to be there, but the milk would be on stage the whole time, and then at the end yeah you you would butt chug it. Okay, that makes more sense than like, in my mind, it's like 10 minutes into Does the it? thing. And then I'm like, what happens at that point? Don't you, <laughs> no, it's the, don't you have to it run, has to be right. Because don't you have to run to the toilet or no? No, well, actually, what I would like to do, and this didn't always work out. But what I liked to do and with the dog food as well, it would be like, do that next to last because it's really fun. And at least in a live setting, it's really fun to like eat dog food and make people like absolutely want to die and then just be there for five more minutes <laughs> in a way that has nothing to do with the dog food and just like uh, really, really 
make them think about what's what's happened. Got it. Um, what kind of dog so, food yeah. did you eat? I did. It's funny because I didn't have a dog when I was doing this joke. And looking at it now, I'm like, I would not feed this to my dog. But I did um, Alpo. I think it was Alpo Gravy Cravers was the oh. brand that I would go to because it just like looked good on stage. It kind of just tasted like lukewarm stew. So it didn't feel it didn't feel like if you mm-hmm. if you could get yourself there right. mentally, it didn't feel like dog food. So, yeah, Alpo Gravy Cravers uh, is, is what, what is you what recommend. That's so yeah. interesting. I've always wondered what dog food tastes like. So it just kind of tastes like people food. It depends. Yeah. I mean, like wet food. There's some that I when I started doing that joke, I didn't I mean, I didn't know anything. And I was eating like, what is the pe- pedigree? I was doing pedigree at first. Mm-hmm. And that literally has like shards of bone in it. Like yeah. that was that was like the worst. And then, yeah, so I, I switched to a formula that's supposed to be like, oh, this costs a dollar fifty a can. <laughs> like this is some like nice stuff. And it just kind of looks like Campbell's chunky soup. <laughs> so you've never tried kibble, though? I've never tried kibble. No, no, no plans to yeah. at this time. Jamie Loftus, it was so fun talking to you. <laughs> Thank giving you me a lot me. to think about specifically we really like, run the gamut i know <laughs> i just pour the milk right into my coffee it's like i'm missing a whole whole way of it, taking it in oh my god there's so many ways to experience a gallon of skin milk <laughs> i know <laughs> i really need to when am i going to start living in when? color you know um <laughs> Listen, if you guys like what you're hearing, please make sure that you, in whatever app you're listening, make sure you're following or subscribed. I don't know the language anymore, but just whatever you have to do to make it so you get your episodes automatically, do that so you don't miss any. Tell your friends. Leave us a nice comment if you enjoy what you're hearing. Five star, five stars would be just phenomenal. Um, and uh, follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Allison Rosen. I mentioned I'm on Patreon. I'm also on Cameo. Um, I have a book out, Tropical Attire and Courage and Other Phrases That Scare Me. And Jamie, um, tell everyone where they can find you and what they should look out for. Yeah, uh, you can find me on Twitter at Jamie Loftus Help, uh, Instagram at Jamie Christ Superstar, or uh, you can check out uh, some of my my podcasts. There's my year in Mensa, uh, Lolita podcast, and Ack Cast, which is uh, A A C K Cast, and that's about Kathy comics. And uh, that's where I am. Yeah, wonderful, Tony. What about you? I'm on Twitter and Instagram at Tony Thaxton, and I podcast <laughs> Bizarre Albums every Tuesday. <laughs> Uh, Jamie, that voice is is Jackie Johnson, who voices Kathy in your podcast. She voices Kathy. She mm. is the perfect Kathy. It's every week I'm just blown away that she's done it again. She's done it again. Yeah, she's great. Um, thank you so much. It was oh, so fun you. talking this to you. This was so much fun. Listeners, thank you for listening. I love you. You matter. Goodbye. Hey, do you know Alice and Rosen show. We had a good time, but now we gotta go. Yeah, Alice and Rosen is your new best.